Keep in touch with the Wolf Connection podcast on our Instagram handle at the Wolf Connection pod or email us your questions, comments, and guest ideas to podcast at wolfconnection.org. Thank you for your support and howls to you all. Welcome to the Wolf Connection podcast. I'm your host, John Calvin. All right. So first for the podcast, we have a five person Zoom and everybody's in a different location. So this is going to be really, really cool for you all to enjoy, to listen to. Uh, so firstly, we want to welcome back to the podcast, Monica Stallman. She is the author of now the Trumpet, the Miracle Wolf Pup trilogy. There are three children's books, so that has finally been completed. So Monica, welcome back. It's good to have you. Thank you. you. Yeah. And for the first time on the podcast, we are really excited to speak with two individuals from Lighthawk Conservation Flying. And so firstly, we have the Strategic Communications Manager, Clint Burson. Clint, welcome. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we also have Brooke George. She is the Wildlife Program Manager. She is in North Carolina and Clint is in Montana and Monica's in New York. So Brooke, welcome also. Great to have you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. So we're going to do the best we can to manage this, but uh, really excited to have all three of you here to really discuss uh, everything that's going on, both with Mexican gray wolves and the work that Lighthawk is doing in flying these wolves to, uh, we hope, their forever homes in the wild. So first, Monica, let's just, uh, I want to start with you really quick. Give everyone an update on Trumpet, the books, and the pups uh, for her, because I know there's a lot going on and, and I appreciate you keeping in touch with me and with Steven and really giving us the lowdown of what's been going on uh, with her. So please uh, take it away and give everybody an update on what's going on with Trumpet. Awesome. Thank you for having me again. Um, So Trumpet has been having a busy couple of years. She actually had another litter this year. Um, Yeah, six puppies. Five of them got to be cross-fostered into the wild. And it was actually featured on CBS. Uh, Chris Van Cleave did the... uh, did the news report. Um, and then she ended up with one of those pups from the litter who's growing up with her now. Uh, they live all together as a family and it's nine of them together along with uh, the two adults uh, wrangling in uh, seven boys. <laughs> so, um, and people can watch them on the webcams from the Wolf Conservation, uh, their website. So they can see what's going on with Lighthawk, um, and uh, of course, enjoy Kazoo, who is the uh, the pup that stayed with uh, her family this year. So I don't, yeah. So I don't know if you know this, Monica, because I know you're you, you go in and out with uh, with con- with Wolf Conservation Center. So just give everyone an idea, and Brooke or Clint, if you guys have an idea too on this, uh, but I'll ask Monica first. What's the strategy or the I, I guess the steps to figure out which of the pups or how many of the pups are are going to be cross fostered and then which ones get to stay with the mom, whether it be trumpet or another uh, Mexican gray that's in captivity? Yeah. So the decision actually comes from the U S fish and wildlife. Um, so they're based, they have a whole uh, team of geneticists and, and uh, wildlife experts. And uh, they're basically figure, figuring out, 
genetically who should be cross-fostered into the wild, which families they should go to. They do track uh, through collars uh, the, the mothers of uh, litters, and they time it basically uh, when the wolves have the puppies, approximately the same time period that Trumpet had her puppies, that's how they decide who uh, will get the pups. And so um, it's, an, it's a very interesting and in-depth process. <laughs> and and ha, ha, just, just for folks who don't know, just can you just define what cross-foster means exactly? So um, basically they take the puppies that were born that year before they're two weeks old, before they open their eyes, um, they will take those puppies on a plane. Lighthawk has helped out with, uh, with that uh, process. And then they will hike into the wilderness to the den site of the new cross-fostered mom. And uh, they will put the puppies in with the other puppies. They uh, kind of rub them on each other, get them smelling the same. But typically, uh, wolves love puppies so much that they're just like, oh, more puppies. Great. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's wild. Uh, Clint, I'll start with you. Just give everybody, if you can, an overview of Lighthawk Conservation Flying. What's their mission, the vision? How did you guys get involved with, I guess, specifically Mexican gray wolves, but just in conservation flying in general? Sure. So uh, over 40 years ago, there was a a pilot who was also um, really interested in conservation and noticed that when he was above the earth, that it offered a whole different perspective on things and it really was awe-inspiring. And so he decided he'd start taking up people within the conservation world um, and letting them see the world from above. And he found that by doing that, people's perspectives were changed. They were much more likely to act and to make a real difference in conservation. And so we grew from there. Um, You know, initially it was one or two pilots with planes owned by Lighthawk and we've grown so much that we ended up getting rid of the planes that we owned. And now we have an entirely volunteer pilot corps. And so they bring their aircraft, they provide the the plane, the flying, they pay for the fuel, everything. um, And we connect them with conservation projects across the country. to help move conservation forward. In terms of working with the, the wolves, we started that, it's been over 10 years now that we've, we've been working with groups on restoring Mexican and, and red wolves. Um, and you know whether it was moving them around the country for the purposes of breeding, or more recently with the cross fostering efforts to, to move the pups from their captive locations into uh, staging areas for the wild uh, relocation. You know, we, we've been pretty heavily involved in that and getting more and more involved because it's harder and harder to transport those animals via any other method. Um, a lot of the airlines have stopped doing it because a number of reasons, but they just, they don't want to transport wild and exotic animals. Um, and so getting pups across the country is virtually impossible unless a group like us does it. Wow. So you have fully a full a full volunteer core of, of pilots and, and planes. That's that's why that's wild. So with your job as strategic communications manager, are you the one that's are you sort of the air traffic controller? Are you are, are you connecting pilots with different missions? What is your role? How do you define your role and how does it work out 
on a daily basis. We, you know, take on these missions and we find out how things are going. I'm the one that gets to get out and be like, here's what we did. Here's the wolf pups. Look at how cute they are. Um, you know, or in the case this year, uh, hey, we heard from Fish and Wildlife that one of the wolves that we transported a year ago was captured this year for, for tagging purposes, but it, you know, already had its chip in it. So they were able to relocate a, a wolf pup that we had transported into the wild. And now it's being followed for research purposes as well. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, Brooke, I want to bring you in here. You're the wildlife program manager. I know before we, we got on here, that this has been sort of a new uh, tier that's been structured, I think, in Lighthawk that you were saying. It's a little bit newer of a position. You've been there for over uh, roughly a year. Just give everyone an overview about what you what you do as the wildlife program manager and what that means in terms of the, the entire uh, organization. Sure, yeah. So um, the wildlife program manager is a, um, a national position. Um, so we typically focus within our wildlife focus area, we, we, um, work on, um, endangered species. We transport, uh, any, as Clint said, for the breeding programs or for release, um, generally with these recovery programs, there are multiple facilities across the country. And as Monica mentioned, they, they match up, um, who will be a, a, a really great genetic match within the managed care population. And those animals then need to be moved to to um, establish new pairs. Um, so I will basically um, partner with the Fish and Wildlife Service and any involved managed care facilities across the country who are moving animals and um, will plan how we we want to move the animals, and then I work with our volunteer pilots to put those schedules in place. So, and then the surveying and the monitoring is a, is a whole different sector, and that is field work and sometimes multi-day surveys with pilots in the field and things like that. So, Does Lighthawk do any of its own research or, or, or data collection? We are working on that. Um, that is one of our goals with this new position is is to start to not only work with I mean we we like to have a partnership relationship with our conservation partners so that will continue um, but it's important for us in order to measure our success and our impact in the field of conservation um, we do collect that data. Um, and, and use it as um, reporting outcomes for fundraisers and donors. Um, and then some of the more long-term projects, we um, we keep tabs on um, not so much how many animals we move, but more how many offspring were produced or how many animals were released into the wild um, and tracking tracking the individual animals but the focus is on the recovery of the wild population yeah, yeah. and and i imagine that when you're when you're doing things like like flying through wild country and engaging with wildlife and, and wild landscapes that there's a certain amount of 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 ethics that comes into the conversation or 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 an ethical code that comes with the the territory and with the this activity. 
how does the conversation of ethics kind of come up at Lighthawk? Um, so from a survey perspective, I mean, with transport, there's um, there's a, a set of rules that are put in place from um, both the AZA and the Fish and Wildlife Service for, for what um, needs to happen in order to keep an animal healthy while they're in a created condition. For surveys, um, all of our surveys are done with established protocols from either the Fish and Wildlife Service or if we work within state agencies. Um, so we we follow their guidelines um, as far as how to survey for these animals, minimizing the impact to their lives. Um, and uh, then, of course, there are regulations within land use. So, for instance, um, the you can't fly lower than 2,000 feet over a national park. Um, so an example of this is we did a survey for wolverines in Mount Rainier, um, but we couldn't get low enough to see their tracks on the snow level. So like that, but everything is within federal and state protocol guidelines. Um, Clint, what kind of... Uh, I don't know if, uh, what kind of planes are, are being used uh, because I know you said that a lot of like the FedEx or, you know, the, the big carriers are not transporting these, these animals. What kind of planes are, are being used when you use them for Lighthawk? And then what's, what are the types of animals that you are transporting? We know you do wolves, but what are some of the other missions and, and animals that you're carrying back and forth and, and taking to these, uh, to these places? I'll start with the planes. Uh, we've, we've, our volunteer pilots fly everything from a Cessna 152, which is a two-seat, very small uh, private aircraft, all the way up to light business jets um, and everything in between. And so it just depends on what the type of mission that we're flying is uh, as to what type of plane is needed. Um, and so, you know, Brooke and the other program managers are real good about figuring out all right, for, for this mission, we need this type of plane, and then they can reach out to those pilots and, and match them up so that we're not wasting jet fuel or aviation fuel uh, on a flight that a, a smaller aircraft would suffice for. Uh, in terms of animals that we fly, this also relates to the types of planes that we use. Um, as, you, as we mentioned, the, the Mexican and Red Wolves, we fly both of those. And then there's a really wide range of animals. We do California condors, black-footed ferrets, um, white abalone. Uh, we've flown salmon and salmon eggs before. We've done, we've done a cheetah. We've done sea turtles. Um, I'm trying to think of all of them. Yeah, the mashed bobwhite quail uh, and orange-breasted falcons. I mean, they're a wide range. If they're on the endangered species list and we can fit them through a door, we will do it. And so that's kind of what determines which planes end up with which animals um, and also the speed and the distances that we're talking about. So in terms of like wolves, we're transporting them literally across country. And so we're looking for planes that are capable of getting there, you know, in, in as few hops as possible and as short a time as possible. And then also for, especially when we're moving adult wolves, we need planes with big enough doors to get full size crates um, through them, which is a pretty limited number because those are big crates and big animals. Hmm. So, so you have an entity coming to Lighthawk 
to organize a, a relocation for a project um, or, or a drop-off at a location. Is Lighthawk helping at all to determine these locations or or more the specific location? No, yeah. that's handled all by the, the wildlife managers. Uh, we, you know, the only, the only part of the locations that we're dealing with are which airport is the closest to that area. Uh, Monica, did you, how did the relationship start or Clint or Brooke, whoever wants to answer this, how did the relationship start with, I guess, Wolf Conservation Center? Was that before your time Were were you guys brought in specifically for Trumpet or have you worked with those Mexican gray wolves before transporting, uh, pups back and forth? Well, it was definitely before my uh, time. <laughs> before your time, okay. I, I can I can answer that with the um, with some specifics. Um, so sure, we transported the first Mexican wolf in uh, 2009, I believe, um, and we've transported over 150 wolves since that time. And that number will continue to grow as as the cross fosterings continue because that's a lot a lot more animals. Um, so we have, we, we've become, um, one of the, well, at least the favorite source of transportation for the Mexican wolf recovery (laughs) program. I will say that. Um, so, uh, we work in partnership with them, uh, every year. I mean, right now for the Mexican wolves, they are not moving as many, um, for breeding purposes, because they, across the program, the facilities are uh, kind of at capacity and the pairs are established. So most of what we're doing with the Mexican wolves is for cross-fostering. At at this point in time, that can change. Um, For the red wolves, they have a robust breeding program going on right now. So we, um, this year, uh, we had 13 flight requests to move Mexican or sorry, red wolves across the country. What does that mean for, for both of you to be involved, especially with both of the, these specific species of wolves, because we're, we're going to be having podcasts in the next few weeks talking about red wolves. Obviously they are critically endangered. There's, there's so few of them there. I know the Mexican gray wolf has had a little bit of a spike I believe I, I believe there's roughly 250 in the wild. Uh, I think that was the last count. So better, not great, uh, could always be more. So what is it like for both of you just to be a part of specifically, obviously you're talking about condors and, and, and the ferrets. I mean, all of these things are, are critically endangered, need to be obviously uh, belong in our ecosystem. But as we're talking about wolves, what what does it mean just to be a part of these types of trips, these type of missions to to help with these species to hopefully repopulate on their own? Well, so for me, um, so I came to Lighthawk about a year ago, but uh, before then I was a, a wildlife biologist for state um, agencies and universities across the country for about 20, 20 years. Um, and I decided that I wanted to have a broader impact um, in wildlife conservation. So Lighthawk gives me the ability to do that because I can work across recovery programs um, and um, and then also help with different aspects of, of monitoring and recovery and delisting monitoring. Um, so I know how important aviation is to, to wildlife management and wildlife conservation um, and 
it's such a valuable tool. Uh, working with the pilots is amazing. Um, within the recovery programs, there's, um, you facilitate so much for the programs. So you're, you're really able to allow them to operate as best as they can for both the health of the animal and the, the um, health of the humans who are handling them. Um, but then it's like for Crossbusters, as an example, that is a successful program after, after a lot of tweaking and working over the years that is, um, you know, is really showing results in the field. Um, and we, um, as Clint said, are the, um, one of the best ways to put that on the ground for them. So it's, it's quite rewarding across many many aspects of many species. What about you, Clint? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm a storyteller at heart, and that's kind of what my role is at Lighthawk, which is perfect. And I just love being able to tell the story of these these animals. I mean, they're they're majestic and they're beautiful. And being able to tell the story of both their recovery and then also being able to tell the story of the pilots who are involved in it. And I mean they the pilots that have flown these flights love what they're doing. Um, you know, they They've kind of formed their own little group. They call themselves the Wolf Pack, um, and you know they they often are, you know, not just flying and transporting the wolves. Once once they get to the location, they're helping unload them. They're helping the the biologists and the vets check them out. So you know, in the pictures that we get, they're standing right there. They're holding the wolf pups, and then you know, often they will follow the team into the field and go on the hike with them to get them placed in the den. Uh, so they're they're highly involved, they're highly interested, and being able to to make a difference is a great story to tell, and it's one that that we're excited to do every year. What does it take for someone to become a pilot with Lighthawk? What are is there a is there a, a form that needs to be filled out? Is there a bat like what? How does it go into? Because it just sounds, it sounds almost. Um, too good to be true that you that you can be you're, you're a pilot and then all of a sudden you're transporting you know you have a, a condor in, in your in the back of your plane or you have you know wolf pops or something what's the process like for anyone who who knows we could have pilots listening right now that might want to get involved so what's the I mean, process more, and more pilots uh lately <laughs> yeah. actually so maybe yeah what's that like uh, uh well the thing to do is go to the lighthawk website it's just lighthawk.org uh, and there's a, a form on there that you can fill out to express your interest uh, there's also all the all the requirements are listed on our website. The biggest one is we require our volunteer pilots to have a thousand hours of of flight time uh, before they can fly for us. And the reasoning the reasoning behind that is a, a couple of things. One is safety is our primary concern uh, with flying any of these missions, whether it's flying wildlife or flying some of the survey missions or, or any of the other flights that we do. We want our pilots to be safe. Um, you know, and a lot of our flights outside of the wildlife transportation are done at low level, which is the most challenging type of flying that a pilot can do. Uh, so they're low and they're slow, and that's right at the edge of what planes can do. So we're looking for that high time pilot uh, in order to do that. That puts us as the highest requirement for any uh, public benefit flying organization in the country, uh, which a little challenging to, to, bring, to bring pilots on, but uh, we think that it's the best thing to do, given the type of flying that we do. Other organizations are simply transporting people or pets, and they climb up high, they cruise along, and it's fine. Um, so they're they're not 
they're not taking on the risks that that, that White Hawk pilots sometimes do. Um, but but what what are some things like maybe maybe we wouldn't think of that uh, that make using an aircraft for these kinds of these kinds of projects just the the the, the best the best tool. The biggest um, benefit is is like I said um, the 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 health and reduced stress levels of the animals while they're in transit. So, you know, being being captured and put into a crate is a very stressful thing. These are not domesticated animals. They, in, in fact, are they try to maintain as much of that wild um, instinct as as they can within the managed care facilities, um, so that they have the strongest genetics available. Uh, so, the biggest benefit is that you have generally substantially less time in a crate uh, for the animal. Um, you, since we, our pilots will fly to the closest regional airport for the managed care facilities, um, it allows them to, to build out their capture schedule a little bit better so they don't have to rush. They, everything is scheduled. Um, the animal can be captured at the very last moment because they're not trying to meet a departure time from a commercial airline. The, if they are delayed, our pilots will delay scheduling as well. So there's um, there's a lot of shifting of schedules that, that happen that is just not possible with uh, commercial. And then ground transportation takes hours and hours and hours sometimes, um, you know, with an example for condors, they, they'll drive 12 hours to move six condors from one facility to another. But if you use an aircraft, it's maybe four. Mm. Um, so um, it really cuts down on um, time, which improves safety, health, and stress um, stress levels. Uh, the The other thing is um, is during uh, during the flight, uh, any of the handlers uh, with any of the species can can monitor their animals. So if they're if they do see a, a stressed animal, they can. Um, I mean, you can't obviously open the crate, <laughs> but um, but you can do things such as try to cool the the cabin down if an animal seems to be overheating or. So you can monitor that animal in real time. They're not down in the belly of a plane. They're right next to you. Wow. Um, and then with the um, with the pups, uh, the pups sometimes, I think they're fed every three hours. And so while they're in flight, um, they can actually take them out and, and do um, uh, tube feeding with them that they wouldn't um, probably do in a commercial aircraft. Another wow. thing is that commercial with pups and some of the younger animals that we fly, they're too young to be vaccinated and the commercial airlines require vaccination. So we don't have that requirement. Wow. Yeah. And then our pilots and personal attention um, and assistance. Um, there's uh, Clint, can you think of... Anything, there's so many things that just run so smoothly that it's yeah. just, it's just, um, there was a situation, sorry, Glenn, I asked you a question. And then <laughs> I, um, 
we had a, a, a Red Wolf last year, one of the facilities um, was trying to get a Red Wolf from Tennessee to California and they checked the wolf in on a commercial flight and um, they could not get that wolf on that flight. But in the meantime, it sat on the tarmac for eight hours. Uh, um, so things like that just don't happen with a light hawk flight. So. No, no. And you're right. And I, I love that you guys take the the time, the consideration for, for the human, for the animals, obviously, firstly, but the humans, it's, it really seems like such a beautifully symbiotic relationship that everyone has from the top down and everyone's in it together. And, there, and there's really th- this community that you guys have built over, over this period of time at Lighthawk is incredible. I don't know if we asked this before, is there a difference in terms of transporting red wolves and Mexican greys, or, or even if they're pups, or is there, or is it fairly straightforward and similar? And if you could just tell everybody out there what sort of those parameters are when you're transporting wolves specifically. Yeah, um, red wolves and Mexican wolves are, are fairly similar procedures. There may be slight differences in the crate sizes. Um, between the two, the, the capture techniques on the ground are, are pretty similar. Um, the animals behave similarly in, in the aircraft. Um, they, they typically will stir a little at takeoff and then they settle down um, and both species seem to behave that way. Uh, so between those two, the pup, the Pups are different, but um, between the adult animals, it's it's pretty much the same. But you do need you do need those large aircraft for long distances and big cargo planes. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Um, and it's it's wild that you can actually take them out and and give them a feeding or two just in the middle of a flight. You're just hovering <laughs> and you're like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna feed the pups before we drop mm-hmm. you guys off. Okay. Monica, what's it like for for you? as you've chronicled Trumpet's story and then to obviously be working with Lighthawk and seeing the success that has happened, what does that mean for you as someone who has been a volunteer, who's, who's an author three times over now to see this story as it, as it's continues to evolve? Because obviously Trumpet, Trumpet is still here, still having pops and, and her story continues. Well, uh, first, firstly, I should just thank Trump. It because without her, I wouldn't have even known uh, about Lighthawk and uh, what they do. Um, you know, when I first came on to speak with you, I think it was like two years yeah. ago that we did that podcast. Yeah. Um, I mentioned that her story was the perfect story to be able to um, give not only to kids, but just to tell the story of Mexican, uh, Mexican gray wolves, because this is her story. And her mate that she was paired up with was named after Lighthawk. So his nickname is Lighthawk. (laughs) And that just happened to be her story. Um, So not only was she a miracle birth, um, but, you know, she got paired up with a a wolf that was named after this uh, awesome organization, a group of pilots that do this amazing work. Um, So yeah, that's, that's, what inspired me to really tell her story not only 
for the children, but also just the people reading the story to the kids so that they could learn more about, you know, these organizations about Mexican gray wolves, um, um, you know, and her story will continue. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it continue, it, it keeps going on. And Clint, you said you're a storyteller. What's a story that you have, I guess, specifically related to wolves, one that has stuck out in your mind that you've been around, heard, dealt with, in the few years that you've been at Lighthawk? Well, I kind of already already told it that, you know, the fact that the the ground crews that were out tagging wolves this year and collaring them, um, you know, they, they got in contact with us and said, hey, you know, one of the wolf pups that you guys transported last year, we just caught. Um, and, and he's, you know, he's doing well. He's got his own pack now. Um, and so to me, that was just a, a great story. And that it's a success that we've had and that, you know, we took this pup that was in a captive facility, moved it across the country, you know, and our partners took him out, placed him in a wild den. And not only did he survive, but he's thriving and he's contributing to the the wild population of wolves. And to me, that that's just a great story. It's heartwarming. And it, you know, I wish that we had I wish that we could have, you know, live webcams on the wild wolves too, so that we could follow them around. But I know that's not how that works. <laughs> Could be soon. <laughs> that'd be that'd be wild <laughs> if we had GoPros on <laughs> GoPros on the wolves. Um, what's another what's what's another animal that sticks out for you? I know you said you have. Uh, I'm sure you have a ton, but what's what's another one for for another animal that let's say you you tell you know when you're sharing stories? Sure. So last year we got a call from I believe Santa Barbara Zoo uh, about a California condor that they had located that had been had ingested some some lead from lead shot uh, and so it was suffering from lead toxicosis it was you know in, in really poor health and they they weren't sure it was going to survive the only way that they could help it out at that point was to get it to the los angeles zoo um so that it, they could do surgery and treatment on it and there was no other way to get it there other than light hawk so one of our volunteer pilots jumped on it and you know within 24 hours was flying it south to la um, they got it in immediately, got it treated, and, and then flown back up uh, and was released into the wild. And it, this is one of the oldest California condors, female California condors in the wild. And so to be able to, to rescue her, basically, and restore her to good health and have her return back to the wild, um, you know, was, was something that only Lightheart could have helped out with. And it makes a huge difference, you know, in, in California condors. Yeah. I mean, condors, I th think, I don't know where I was. I think actually, I think I actually went to Santa Barbara Zoo and saw a couple of those condors and they are just, they are unbelievable creatures. They're just, the, when they, when they spread out and they, they glide, it's just amazing how long that wingspan is. I wonder if you two, Clinton Brooke, have you ever encountered, because we, we always talk with other conservation organizations or especially in the wolf space. Are there any obstacles you guys face in terms of, the work that you're doing, meaning that people who might not be on the side of wolves in general, do they look at what you're doing and say, why would you be helping out a species like, a, like the wolves or any species for that matter? Do you ever get any of that kickback or any of those comments? Or are you guys fairly safe and secure because you're literally in the clouds and you're flying and you're not typically on the ground? I don't know if you guys ever face any of those uh, comments from people who might dislike the conservation of, of wolves in general. I'll go first this time, Brett. So 
Well, uh, Brooke and I actually were just talking about this yesterday um, because of the area that I live in, wolves are a, a really big deal. Um, again, I live in Montana and we, we've had a wolf recovery program for, for a number of years and we have a pretty large population of wolves. And so they're, they're a pretty controversial animal. Um, you know, but the nice thing is, is that people for the most part understand the need to restore endangered species. And so, you know, from, from my point of view, when I talk to people about it, I don't really get any pushback from it, even though I know some, some may exist in my area. Um, but most people are just really excited to hear about how airplanes are being used to, to transport wild animals across the country and how it's volunteer pilots that are doing this, that are giving their time and resources to do it. Um, so it doesn't ever reach that next step of, of the controversy around wolves in the wild. Uh, but, you know, I, I can say from, from my point of view, uh, you know, directly in Lighthawk, you know, as an organization, we really don't get too much pushback. At least I haven't heard any. Um, you know, and I think that's like you mentioned, you know, we're kind of a step above it. You know, we're, we're above the clouds, as, as you might say. And uh, people understand that, that we're just helping wolves get to where they need to be. What about you, Brooke? Yeah, I'll just add to that, too, that um, right now and probably continuing in the future, um, we only transport animals that have um, active recovery plans are a listed species with an active recovery plan and um, and a, a recovery program, a breeding program, a release program. Um, and so those animals typically, by the time they're on the endangered species list and they're, um, you know, everyone is working together to, to try to restore them in the wild. Um, there's a there's leeway like it's hard to be on on the bad side when you're working within recovering uh, endangered species specifically so we we don't move um and and we have to turn down people who request flights for for education or display or any of those those areas where it may be for um you know, it's it's a captive animal to for purposes other than you know for education, which is important. But um, but the work that we do is is active uh, species recovery in the wild. So that's you know gives us a little bit of um, of kind kindness for our, our work. I would say. Um, so yeah, I haven't experienced any any pushback either. And and just to reiterate what what Clint says, our our role is to support these programs and um, to make sure the animals are are healthy and safe, and um, and the and the partners are able to do their jobs to the best of their ability. What's the? I I'm trying to think what the best uh, number to put this at. What if you if uh, Brooke, do you know the average amount of flights per year? I know obviously it depends upon your ask, what you guys accept. Do you guys try to keep it at a certain number? Is there certain seasons that are busier than others? What's your breakdown of roughly, even if it's monthly, how many flights does Lighthawk typically engage in? So we do um, between thirty and forty transports a year for um, most of the animals that Clint mentioned at the top are um, 
year over year, we still are transporting those animals. Um, the there is seasonality to it because the the animals are 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 breeding, um, producing offspring, and are being released on a schedule that is very similar to their behavior in the wild. Um, so right now we are moving um, uh, red wolves that are uh, establishing breeding pairs. The, similar to how they would be establishing breeding pairs within their packs in, in the wild. Um, so gestation is still the same. So these births um, we know are coming in April and May. Um, and it's similar for say whooping cranes. We're, we're pairing up adults right now and then we'll move some eggs if needed, if there are abandoned nests in the wild around the time um, so those are wild and captive, um, but same time as in the wild. Um, and then of course, juveniles when they're born later in the spring. So we tend to be very, very busy from November through about May. So our, um, well, it, it starts to tail off around May. The white abalone are, um, they call it outcropping off the coast of, Southern California. Um, so those are released a little later in the year. Um, but our our major um, major transport schedule usually starts to fall off around May when everybody's born, who's going to be born, and they're where they need to go. And um, uh, the cross fosters tend to be our last major push of the season. Those are the wildlife transport flights, the thirty to forty number she gave you. Um, in total, we're flying right around 200 flights a year right now. That number is actually down from pre-COVID. So pre-COVID, we were flying around 300 to 350 missions a year. And we're working to kind of ramp back up to that now that we've kind of exited some of the, the pandemic slowdown. Yeah, that's good. I mean, it's, I'm sure there's a need for it. How many, how many pilots do you have on volunteer status right now, Clint? That's a good question. And, um, you know, we're... We're always working to, to keep our, our pilot roles updated to make sure that the pilots that are still flying are, are still listed as active. Um, we're, we're around 250, we think, that are active. Um, you know, that number can climb as high as 300 or so, uh, depending on, you know, <laughs> how many people have come on versus how many have retired from flying. Um, but yeah, 250 to 300 usually is where we're at. Man, that's a that's a good Rolodex to have or whatever you guys have it in your in your phone to be able to call up whatever it is. And this is, and obviously you guys, you're, you're nationwide. So is there a fairly even amount of spread to cover what you need across the country or, or are most of the pilots that you guys work with who volunteer, are they based mostly on the coast? I, I don't know how, what's the breakdown? I don't know if that's too specific of a question, but. So they're, they're pretty well spread out. Um, they're pretty evenly divided between East and West. Um, I would say if there was an area of, you know, we don't have as many, it would be the central part of the country. Um, the two coasts are the West, especially from, you know, the Rocky Mountains over, we're, we're pretty well covered. Uh, and then along the East Coast, we're pretty well covered. That central part around the Mississippi River is probably the least populated area for volunteer pilots. Um, but even that, we still have a number of pilots who are available and we've got a bunch of pilots coming on board. Uh, that that will kind of help fill in those holes. But if anyone's out there in that area, sign up. 
<laughs> Anybody who's listening right now, Light Hawk wants you. Wow. Um, I could see Clint on a poster or something. <laughs> pointing. Um, so before we before we wrap with everything, because uh, we'll, I still have my last questions and, and things like that. But Monica, I want to have you uh, tell everyone out there. So those of you that have that have been listening, so we said at the top. So Monica finished the trilogy for Trump at the Miracle Wolf Pop. So that is here. I actually have those books in hand. Um, and Monica, if you want to tell everybody, uh, what we're going to do with that, uh, in the next week or so, go ahead. Yeah. So, um, I thought it would be a really great idea to do a giveaway with, uh, her trilogy. So, um, the first one, her miracle birth, uh, the second one, you know, going through a bit of growing pains, uh, you know, there, there is a tumble and, uh, some interesting smells that she smells, uh, that she learns about growing up. So uh, some funny moments there. Um, and the third book just launched. So, um, and that is the book that introduces uh, Trumpet to her mate. Um, it's also a good book for, uh, you know, letting kids know, even if you're going to a new situation, new school or something like that, that um, there are good things ahead of you. You just have to be brave. Uh, so I thought it would be a really good idea to have kids make that connection with a wolf who experienced it. So, um so yeah, I, I just wanted to spread the joy. So I think a giveaway would be a great idea and some lucky kids going to win it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So any of you th- who are listening now, we're also going to have a, a social media post. So you guys will be able to contact Stephen and I contact the pod. Uh, we'll do a comment section thing like we always do. And then we'll pick uh, a winner there to win the, this trilogy of uh, Trump at the Miracle Wolf Pup, and you guys will enjoy them. I sat and read them last night, so and I enjoyed them. Not, not that I'm a good test case, <laughs> but uh, I enjoy all that stuff. So you guys will have a chance to win those. Um, for Clinton Brook, uh, I just want to ask you guys uh, my last question, and then we definitely want to promote Lighthawk, the website where people can go uh, to figure everything out. So my last question for both of you, we'll start with Brooke is when you hear the word wolf, what is the thing that comes to your mind? Hmm. What comes to my mind is um, a stable, thriving ecosystem. So I think of, of wolves, wolves that are in a, a stable, self-sustaining population have so many um trickle effects within an ecosystem that in, improves um, from top to bottom, all of the, the niche allocation between all the different species. And so having wolves on the ground to me, where they're able to thrive and uh, maintain a population um, is uh, to me, sort of, sort of my lifelong goal is to to see ecosystems in their uh, full capacity. So, um, but there are many other things I could say besides um, how majestic they are and um, and just the the mystery around them and their their strength and how they can overcome so much adversity. Um, with having to share space with humans um, and still be able to to carve out a place throughout the country is it's a fascinating species. That's awesome. What about you, Clint? So 
might not be a little less elegant, but I, I think of their house and I think of family. So, and it's kind of a weird connection in that um, one of my son's favorite movies is The Good Dinosaur. And the, the human character in that's named Spot and he howls like a wolf. And that's how they locate their families is that they howl at each other. And I think of, I think of wolves, you know, in that same way. And I've heard them in the wild howling back and forth. And, you know, that's just what I think of when I think of wolves is that howl and the fact that they're, they're calling out to each other. So a little more romantic, but a little less, um, you know, recovery focused than Brooke's answer. <laughs> I've, I've been trained over a long period of time. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Clint, uh, just tell everybody again, where can they find uh, Lighthawk website, social, sign up to be a pilot? What's, what's, where are the places they can find you all? Sure. So our website is lighthawk.org. Uh, and we're on Facebook, Instagram, X or Twitter, depending on what you want to call it. Uh, LinkedIn, and then we've also got a Threads account. Nice. Uh, <laughs> anybody who's listening, uh, who's a pilot out there, who's looking to to help the the world, help wildlife, you know, and just be part of a part of a wolf pack that's a human pack that's flying wolves around, <laughs> contact these these wonderful individuals, uh, Brooke and Clint. Thank you both for all of the work that you're doing uh, to continue to help all of these species out, not just the wolves. And uh, just being wonderful, wonderful human beings and sharing the story of Lighthawk and, and continuing to do what you do. Uh, Monica, same to you. Thank you for finishing your books and, and sharing those with the world. So can't thank all three of you. Thank you all so much for, for coming on and, and sharing this stuff with Stephen and I. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having. Thank you so much. For the yeah, yeah, thanks for no having problem. us on. And I want to thank Monica, too, for sharing Lighthawk's story. It, I've, I've got... Yeah the third book sitting here at my desk and it's on my <laughs> list of books to read to my son. And it's, it's just a great story with great, great artwork. And um, thank you yeah. so much for sharing our story. Yeah. I need to get a copy for, uh, for my little guy as well. Well, you have the author, we're going to talk to you right now. Um, and yeah, I want to, yeah, let's thank uh, Maddie Moore too, if you don't mind, Monica, who did the old illustrations. Yeah. Incredible, incredible job. She did it. Yeah, she's just amazingly talented. And, uh, you know, every time I've asked, you know, I want to kind of express the wolves to express this emotion. And she's been able to capture it so well. Um, and it, it's just been wonderful to work with her. Yeah, it's really awesome. And you're all doing an incredible job. Just stick around for just a minute once we sign off. But thank you all so much uh, for what you're doing. How's to you all out there? And Stephen, I'll be with you next time. Bye, everybody. Looking for more information about Wolf Connection or the podcast? Please visit our website at wolfconnection.org where you can donate, sponsor a wolf, or become a volunteer.